Well, you look out over the audience on Sunday night, and you're going, how many people did I scare off? And it doesn't look too bad. Good to see all of you. I got a baby responding too. That's good. Different kind of amen there. Good to have the little ones in our midst. As we continue talking about walking daily, humbly, with your king. We want to enhance that journey, that walk, day by day, as you depend on the Lord. And you trust in him and you acknowledge him and you confess him before men when you have that opportunity day by day. I want to take you tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 and following. Before we start reading there, this lesson and the one tomorrow night sort of served as a two-part series. This is my hook to get you to come back tomorrow night. So this is only part one. Uh, it's a two-part series that I did immediately after my serious nine-day bout with COVID. It never really threatened my lungs, but man, I was worthless for nine days and did nothing but lay in a chair uh, till that thing finally let loose of me. Dell and I have talked about that, that that thing just is looking for some way to destroy you, you know, it's just... It's evil. And uh, so after that, I preached the sermon. I tell you, I got up in the pulpit. I felt great. Two days ago, I felt terrible. But I felt awesome that day. And I was just off the chain. I got to tell you, I was, I was wild in the pulpit. And after I got done, one of the sisters who sits behind Della and me says, You know, COVID makes you more emotional. And I said the next week, I said, well, how would you know? Because you were emotional before you got COVID. <laughs> but then she got upset me, with me when I said that, so I'm correcting in a meeting. She's not here to hear it, though. Uh, I told her, I told the people in Lubbock when I told that story that actually what she said was, I like it when you get emotional. So uh, that's, that's the true part uh, of that story. So uh, this, this came from a very emotional place. And it also followed knowledge of the passing of Dee Bowman, who was a mentor of mine. One of the reasons that I came to Texas in the first place in 1987. And after I had gone away and preached in Alabama for three years, in Auburn, Alabama, I, that's when I came back to Decker Prairie. And I've been there. It's the longest work I've had anywhere. I've been there 12 and a half years now. And when I came back 12 and a half years ago, Dee Bowman said, now, this time, you can never leave Texas again. So he was going to make sure. So far, I've honored uh, that request from Dee Bowman. And I'm going to mention him, uh, if not tonight, tomorrow night again. Second Timothy chapter 2, there's really no good place to start here. Uh, really, the verses I want to talk about are in chapter 3, but I think what we sometimes do is we'll start at verse 1 of chapter 3, and I, I really think in this regard that's not the best thing to do because the thoughts of the context are flowing from even chapter 1 all the way through this section all the way to the very end. There's no good place to really start reading and stop reading except to read the entire letter. 
that Paul wrote to the young evangelist. But I'm going to start uh, at verse 19 because it's an incredible verse that I've used many times through the years. I'm sure Leon and Drew have referenced it a few times. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. What anybody else thinks, how anyone else might regard you individually or collectively, the church at Sardis had a name that it was alive, but God's assessment was that they were not alive. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord Everyone who acknowledges who Jesus is and claims to be his, let that person abstain from wickedness. And so then he goes on to describe different vessels in a house. And he, of course, encourages us to be vessels of honor, useful to the master. Though we were broken vessels in many senses because of our sin and transgression, the Lord has put us together again, and is able to use us in glorious ways in his kingdom. And so we are to flee youthful lusts, he says in verse 22, and pursue, and this is the walk that we're talking about, pursue righteousness, faith, a faith like David's we studied this morning, love and peace. And we don't do this by ourselves. He says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Those are the people with whom we need to align ourselves. We'll speak more about that on Tuesday night. So we're to gather with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Hold that thought. We're to refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. And as the Lord's bondservant, we must not be quarrelsome, not looking for a fight. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance. There's the sovereignty of God. Anyone who comes to God is on the basis of God's sovereignty, his mercy, and Because of that, he grants them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. Everyone who comes to the Lord awakens to reality about God, about themselves, about the world, and its emptiness. They come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That's the goal. That's what I want for all of you. That's why I'm preaching the gospel. That's what we want for every person who is willing to listen. That they might escape the snare of the devil because he aims to hold them captive, this text says, to do his will. And so our desire is to help them and aid them in a release from that snare. But realize this, tough times. Paul tells Timothy, this in the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Avoid all of this, he's saying. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding or having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That is, they look religious. They wear religious garb. They do religious things. But they are not connected with the real power that issues from God. They have a religion, as we said this morning, without relationship. And he says about people who are dominated by these things, who are characterized by these things, he says, have nothing to do with such people. And he talks about those who would take advantage of believers and gives examples in the Old Testament. And he says, but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all. He says, but you follow my teaching, verse 10, in your conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. And he said, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In verse 12. And he said to know this about evil men and imposters, and I want you to note this carefully, will proceed... From bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I want to talk to you tonight about the pitiful pair. Two of those words, two of those phrases that I just highlighted a second ago. Lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. There's a lot we could talk about in that list of qualities that are negative in the first few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I named these two the pitiful pair. It was early in the morning. I was supposed to speak at the Southside Lectures. All of the young preachers who had been in the program at Southside in Pasadena were speaking on a lectureship. They brought us all back in. And the lesson that I was supposed to present that day I just didn't feel good about it. I woke up in the middle of the night. And I, just, I just didn't like what I had going. And I said, I'm going to go to the office and tweak it and change it uh, because D Bowman's in the audience. And, and, you know, I don't want to disappoint D. I want to have really good material to preach. And so I came up with this phrase about these two parts of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the pitiful pair. Now some 15 or 20 years later, I want to suggest to you these two things, lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, may be a bigger pitfall for the Lord's people than they've ever been. We are drawn by our culture, by the world around us, to this kind of thinking and pursuit. It's all about me. There was a generation that I guess 20 years ago that was the me generation. 
they got a little trigger happy with that title because if that was the me generation, what is this? It's the me generation with a turbocharge is what it is. It's all about me. And when it's all about me and I want to satisfy my senses in a particular way, whether it's something I want to watch, something I want to feel, something I want to believe, then I will scratch that itch. Lovers of self leads to lovers of pleasure. And so I just want to make a few observations about that. Remember what I said about evil men and imposters from verse 13 will proceed from bad to worse? Here is the danger. You can't approach your life this way for any period of time, for long periods of time, and that not destroy your soul. It will destroy you. Unchecked, this heart condition in an increasingly negative direction proceeds from bad to worse. If you don't think this is a problem, just watch the driving behavior of people. You've seen it, haven't you? Even here in Mount Pleasant, it's like, get out of my way. It's, it's all about me. This was right before COVID really took a hold of me. We were vacationing in Sedona, Arizona. And after we left Sedona, we went up to Prescott. I've held a couple meetings in Prescott, Arizona. I'm friends with the preacher there, John and Gina Lassiter. And we were going to worship with them on, on the Lord's Day and spend some time with them on Monday. So we're, we're driving about Prescott, Arizona. And I was on a pretty big highway in Prescott. There were three lanes on both sides. And, and I was in the middle lane just driving along, and all of a sudden I saw this vehicle just up in front of me starting to come over in my lane. And I thought, oh man, I've, I've got an accident to avoid. And so I quickly maneuver a little, look, at, look over my shoulder first to see what's in the left lane, and I quickly dart a little bit to the left into the next lane to avoid this car who was coming over into my lane. Well, about that time when I was giving them room, they realized what was happening. I mean, I was in the blind spot. You know how that goes. And so they corrected back into their lane, and I corrected back into my lane and just kept on driving a little bit. And I came up alongside this vehicle, and I look over, and the driver in the vehicle just goes. <laughs> and I said to Della, I'm just like, okay. Did, did I do something wrong? What, was, did I, was my driving not right? What, what, did, what did I do? Maybe, maybe I did something I didn't even realize. I've done that before where you thought nobody was there. You started coming over. Somebody honks. Oh, man, yeah, I, I didn't see them. You know, that's on me. But in this case, it was not on them. It was on me because I was in their way. I was in the lane they wanted to be in. And so I got... I did that in the pulpit at home, and one of the deacons made it a meme. There's a meme of me doing this in the middle of the sermon. Thank you, Jacob Mock. I'm going to mention you from the pulpit. Yes, he has the same last name as me, but he spells it wrong. It, he spells it M-O-C-K, and that's, that's not the preferred spelling. So, that's the way people are in our culture. 
It's get out of my way. It's all about me. I come first in everything. Let me tell you and illustrate it this way. My view of the world is correct. And the reason why my view of the world is correct is because it's my view. If I came to the conclusion, if I formulated the decision, then it must be right because it's mine. I came to a determination about some passage of Scripture or about some point of view in regard to Scripture, and therefore it must be correct. I couldn't possibly be wrong because I'm the one that formulated the view. I'm the one that took the position. And so since I took the position, it has to be correct because I took it. You see, it's my view of the world. And because it's my view of the world, then it must inevitably be so. Tell you what, this has been hard over the last year and a half. It's been an information barrage. From a number of directions. And lately, the hottest button has been vaccines. He said the V word. You can't say the M word or the V word in the pulpit. Vaccines, 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 vaccines. There, I said it five times. We come to different conclusions on these things. I say we, I don't know who the we is. It's all the people who make up the body of Christ in the world, whoever they are. But I know this, we've not all come to the same conclusion about those things. And there's some people here tonight who believe differently than I do. Why? Because we've hashed it all out? No. I just know that that's the case. And I know that in this group, there are some of you who believe different things about the M and the V. So where do I come down on that? I have a view. I have a strong view about both of those things. And if you're willing to talk to me about it, if you want to talk to me about it, I'll be glad to tell you what my view is. But if you make a different decision than me, that's completely up to you. That's your decision to make, not mine. Do you own a gun? Well, you live in Texas, of course you do. At least for now. I asked a brother this recently, what are we going to do? Actually, it was in Lubbock. I was talking to the elder. I said, what are you going to do as elders? What are you going to do if they come for your guns? I got silence at that discussion. Because they don't know how they're going to, okay, obey the government, give up my guns, obey the government, give, obey the, give up my guns. No, this is a hard one. What are we going to do? I, I think we need to be having those kinds of discussions, actually. What does obeying civil government really involve, and what is God expecting? 
in that. That's another whole sermon. I'm still working on that one. But in regard to the two words, the M and the V, you know, I, I think there's a lot of information out there that a lot of people haven't heard in regard to those subjects, in regard to both subjects. I'm not completely sure about everything that I've heard, but I want to share some thoughts from a brother on Facebook who said this, under strong recommendation of my immunologist, I made a personal decision, now he put that in bold, a personal decision to be vaccinated, including a third booster dose. However, I find myself increasingly uncomfortable with mandates and coercive tactics that punish, burden, or stigmatize those who make a different personal decision about their own health care. Their decision does not signal any lack of love or concern for their fellow citizens. And my decision does not signal a greater intelligence and community responsibility on my part. We have each just done what we think is personally right for each of us to do. Let us all navigate these troublesome times with love and forbearance for each one of our neighbors. We need to avoid shaming one another. I've seen so much of that. And I've seen it from both sides of these debates. Because someone else makes a personal decision. Why should I shame them? Or make them feel less than because I make a different decision. Oh, we can talk. We need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to express our view of these things. Or perhaps educate if we believe we have knowledge to impart. But we all won't come to the same conclusion. So I want you to remind yourself frequently of several things. Number one, there are some things that are beyond our scope of knowing. I would like to know more about some things that I just don't have the information to right now. Secondly, I am dependent on sources of information that may or may not be reliable. And the sources of information that are unreliable seem to grow by the day or by the minute. And that's more on that Tuesday night. Number three, it is possible to take logical missteps in the formulation of my beliefs. We think it all makes sense and that it's all logical, that this leads to this leads to this, but, and I see this all the time in religious discussion. I see this all the time in argumentation that's done in books, for example. This, then this, then this, then this. But what if this back here isn't correct? What if this premise at the very beginning is flawed? Then you end up at the wrong place. You might need to look at every step along the way in the process. Number four. 
I must be humble enough to admit when I was wrong. Or I made a poor decision. And that really gets to this idea of lovers of self a lot. Because that's the hard part. To say, I went down a particular path, I made a particular decision, I did a particular thing, and now I look back and I have to say, that was poor judgment. Or even worse, that was rude. You know, Fonzie, he had trouble saying that. In the Happy Days series. Now, some of y'all remember that. Come on, don't let on like you, you didn't watch that. Fonzie couldn't say it was rude. Just couldn't come out of his mouth. Sometimes we struggle with that too. And let me say one more thing about that. It's okay to admit I was wrong. If you can't do that, you will not have good communication in your marriage and a good relationship in your marriage because there are some things you're going to have to apologize for. And if you admit you're wrong, even in your marriage, the world won't fall apart. I think some, if, we, if I admit that I was wrong, if I have to tell my brethren I was wrong, that, that somehow I would lose credibility or significance in some way. May it never be. Because we've all been wrong. That's how we got here in the first place. We were wrong before God. We had to acknowledge that and turn from that and change. And somewhere along the way, because evil proceeds from bad to worse, if we allow lovers of self to dominate us, we will lose that quality that we had in the beginning that was so important to our initial salvation. The world won't blow up and disintegrate if I have to say I was wrong. And I'll tell you about my views about M&V. If I discover that I'm wrong about that, then I need to be willing and ready to say I was wrong about that. Well, let's not just decry the problem. Now, let's, let's think about this a little bit. The way I approach relationships, the way I approach my role in the local congregation, it's all about my view of things. Let's talk about a couple of solutions tonight. Solution number one is to engage in selfless acts regularly. The reason why this is important is this term was a term that I never heard about 10 or 15 years ago. If somebody would have said it, I wouldn't have known what they were talking about. And now it is a rampant problem in our culture. It is because lovers of self has taken on a turbocharge. And it is the word narcissism. Narcissism. How many have heard of the term narcissism? Well, look at that. Look at that. That's not a good thing. Why do we all know about the term narcissism? We might look at a person who is extremely selfish and say, that person's narcissistic. Well, 
that may not exactly be true. You see, narcissism is a severe condition in its clinical definition. It is a a severe condition in which everything that that person is about is always about self. Did you know that a narcissist could actually be philanthropic? That's another big word. But that means be a giver to others. You talk about confusing, and that's what a narcissist does. One who is truly a narcissist will present flying monkeys, whatever you want to call about. They're, they're very confusing. Hey, you know what's going on in our world in terms of how COVID is being handled and talked about in the media, for example? It's cognitive dissonance. It's like the flying monkeys that I described. It's like, I'm being told this, but then there's this. I know that this is a reality because I've seen it and heard about it from others, but, but I'm being told this, and it all doesn't stack up. It doesn't make sense, and, and it, it's cognitive dissonance. It's hard to deal with that. When what you think is reality is not what you're being told is reality. And it's because our culture is narcissistic, because people have agendas, and the agenda is me. What I want. And there's a scale to that. Some are more heavily on the scale than others. And over the last several years, I've been watching this fellow on YouTube. He's actually from Texas. He has a really cool accent. I thought he was from Australia because of his accent. But uh, it's Dr. Les Carter. You may or may not have heard of him. He's done so many little YouTube videos on the subject of narcissism. And I've watched a lot of them and everything he says. There's some other people who talk about narcissism regularly and you can just start searching narcissism on YouTube and you can find all kinds of people talking about it these days. I saw an interview with Dr. Les and he was asked, you know, it's sort of like he's a one-trick pony. Everything he talks about is narcissism. He said, well, I used to talk about uh, abuses in relationship and control in relationship, excessive control. And he goes, and then I realized that really all of that was really more about this problem of narcissism than just about those problems of abuse and control. That the person who was doing that is actually so consumed with self and messed up in regard to self. And so why is he, why can he then be philanthropic or giving? That's helping people. That's a nice thing. But the question is his motive. Why is he doing it? And it's really not about helping the other person. It's about how he wants to be seen. It's about his image. It's how he wants others to regard him. It's sort of like the man practicing hospitality in Proverbs 23. When you go to eat his delicacies, and all the time while you're there, he's thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm practicing hospitality, but this person's costing me money. It says his heart is not with you. He's not doing a kind deed for you. He's doing what he thinks he's supposed to do to have a proper image in society. He goes, his heart isn't with you. And then this statement is made in the middle of that in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, and you know this verse. As a man thinks in his heart... So is he. That's who he really is. He's not this hospitable, charitable man that he's presenting himself to be. Who he really is is what he is at the core. 
And we have a lot of people who are ruled every day by self. That's the promoting factor. And it's like we don't ever grow up. Have you ever noticed what babies do when things aren't going their way? When, when their tummy hurts or they're hungry or they're sleepy? They are going to make their parents absolutely miserable. They are going to yell and scream and cry. And it's excruciating. It's like scratching nails on a chalkboard sometimes. And, and why are they doing that? Because I'm not being taken care of here. I've got a problem, mommy and daddy, and I want you to fix it right now. Because they're infants. It's self-preservation. It's self-protection. It's the way it starts. But you have to grow out of that. Our culture, our culture promotes that you stay that way or revert to that kind of thinking. So somebody says, are there any narcissists in this audience? Well, the odds, the odds are that there could be. But let me tell you something. If you're concerned about whether or not you're a narcissist, the good news is you probably aren't. If you think this lesson has nothing to offer you, it's time for a good hard look in the mirror. You see, the narcissist doesn't do introspection. He doesn't do that. Or she doesn't do that. Because it's always all about them. But if you're looking in the mirror saying, this is who I am, but perhaps I need to make improvements here. I need to make changes here. I need to become more selfless. Why do we talk about that so much? Jesus taught us the way of selflessness. You can't say, I'm a Christian and be selfish. That doesn't work. That's not Christ-like. So, engage in selfless acts regularly. I was t when I was preaching this at home, we, had, we have a lot of young people and two young ladies in the congregation. I've seen them grow up from, from toddlers to teenagers. And so I use them as an example. I hug these girls every week. And I said, Sage and Carissa, do you have to empty the dishwasher? I didn't tell them I was going to do this before I preached it. I said, you all have to empty the dishwasher at home? And they both went, he's talking to us from the pulpit. Yes, we, we, we do the dishwasher at home. I said, why don't you do the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher without your mom and dad telling you to do it? You know what would happen, right? Your mom said, what do you want? What, what do you want? You know, because obviously you have some selfish reason for wanting, for doing this without being told. And I said, and when they do that, you just say, Mom, I really love you. Thanks for being such a good mom. And just walk. Walk away. Do it because it's a good thing to do. Because it serves another. Now, I don't know if, hey, guys, maybe we need to empty the dishwasher for our wives. Uh, you're going to send me home now, aren't you? I mean, what could you do? To demonstrate in your marriage your selflessness. 
What could you do this week for a brother or sister in Christ? That's purely a matter of service. It's not because you want to be seen. It's not that you're going to come to church and say, well, I serve brother, sister, and -and so-and-so this week. You know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Matthew chapter 6. Don't do your alms and pray your prayers on the street corner. Don't do good things. Yeah, but if nobody knows the good things that I'm doing, they're not going to know that the good things are being done. That's, That's on them. I've quit judging the deeds of other people. I don't know everything about your life. I don't know everything about the lives of the people at Decker Prairie. I'm going to assume, because I think I know who they are, that they're doing good deeds for others and they're living for Christ every day. I don't have to judge that. That's not my position. God will take care of that. God knows all things. I don't know that. And I'm not going to assume they're not doing that. So I don't need to trumpet it, even as the preacher. He says, what are you doing to serve others? I, I answer to God. I'm not here to trumpet what I do. Engage in selfless acts. Dr. Les Carter said, we need to be in high growth mode to not let these traits, lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, to take over. We need to be in growth mode. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to see ourselves. And then this, the second solution, we need to trust in the Spirit's transforming power. This is not just about me doing this on my own strength. If we could peel back the curtain of the universe and we could see the intercessory work of Jesus, the ministry of of angels to the elect. The Holy Spirit shaping situations and circumstances in our lives for our spiritual benefit. If we could see all of that going on, we would have a greater sense of God using us as His vessels for honor. When we are birthed into Christ, according to his great mercy, Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness. We haven't merited this. We haven't done this on our own. We have come to God because he has granted it, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2. On the basis of his mercy, we have come to him. And we are rebirthed into Christ because of the work of the Spirit and renewed by Him. Do you think after all that happens that the Spirit just leaves you on your own? He's done. That, That doesn't fit with all that we read about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He makes intercession with groanings too deep for words. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and I understand that's debated, but i got to tell you, I don't see anything else there that, can be dis- that works in that context except the Spirit is doing something intercessory on our behalf just like Jesus does. And again, my view can be wrong. But that's the view that I have. I, I don't know everything the Spirit's doing in our transformation, but I know God is at work in us. Paul says that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
We should never stop at verse 12. Never. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then there's one of the great verses of the Old Testament. It's so applicable to every believer who's ever lived. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. We're going to do a youth lectureship this weekend. We had about 100 kids from all over the place come last year. And we're expecting more this year. And we're going to talk about rise and shine and give God the glory this coming weekend. And my first part is going to be this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Give Him the glory. Place your trust in Him. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. Wow, think about that this week. In everything you do, you acknowledge God. May He be real to you as He was real to David. When you awake, will you still be with Him tomorrow morning? And each day that you live, rise and shine and give God the glory. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. You will have the conversations that He wants you to have. You will have the opportunities and the open doors that He wants to use you in as vessels of honor. And I don't know what that is yet, nor do you. But you need to have every confidence that he is directing your steps. And that is a refreshing thing. The wise writer goes on to say, it is healing to the bones. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Oh, sweet victory in Jesus. We sing this short little song. My heart, my mind, my body, my soul. I give to you. Take control. I give my body a living sacrifice. Lord, take control. Take control. Surrender my life into your hands. Nothing less is what my soul demands. Only you can satisfy my soul. Oh, my Jesus, come. Take control. Lord, take control. It's a wonderful little hymn, but even more wonderful are what we are asking God to do. If we do this, if we allow the Lord to take control, we will avoid the pitiful pair. And if you add the word conceited, it's the terrible trio. And that's the Greek word, if you want to know the Greek word for that, it's tofu. I just call it tofu, it's easier. Don't go down that empty, destructive path and proceed from bad to worse. I want to conclude in Acts 26 and verse 18. I love what Paul does as Luke tells the story of his conversion. And he develops it. There's the historical account in chapter 9. In chapter 22, you have a second telling 
of his conversion story and some more details are provided. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. That's in the second telling. And then when we get to the third and final telling in Acts 26, Luke gives us even more words from Jesus that took place on the road to Damascus. And what he told him before he ever became a convert and his sins were washed away when he got into Damascus. And one of the things he told him was that I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Because you know God knows that he's going to do what Ananias instructs him to do. And he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. There is your salvation story. No one is saved in any other way. They turn from darkness and the grip of darkness and the snare of the devil that we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 2. They turn from darkness to light and from the rule or dominion of Satan unto God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. We'll talk about that Wednesday night. An inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Is there someone in this audience tonight who needs to change dominion from the dominion of Satan to the blessed and rewarding dominion of God? Let's stand and say.